With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I know it's a little late into January, but how was your holiday? Um, It was, it was, uh, it was solid. I mean... Um, unfortunately I was very ill, um, for the holidays. I caught COVID. So, yeah, it's, you know, I think though, it was one of those things I going into the holidays, I'd been teaching nine classes between two colleges doing stand up and running a comedy club. So I think my body was just, you know what I mean? Like, it's just like, you need to rest. So it just left me open to whatever thing. And I yeah. was not out for a week. And I frankly, I'm grateful for it. So it was a little reality check. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, kind of. But otherwise decent. Do you have, do you have a nice holiday? I did. I spent some time with my family and went home to Smithville for a while and hung out and it was all good. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, mean, <laughs> I have prepared some jokes for you. Oh, sweet. Cool. I love jokes. All right. Are you ready? I don't know if you're like emotionally prepared because they are so funny. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. All right. You ready? Sure. Why couldn't the blind girl eat oysters? I don't know. Because she couldn't see food. Ah, uh, okay. Bam. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Puns, so we're in the right realm. <laughs> all right, what do you call a blind fascist? I don't know. A Nazi. Oh. <laughs> 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 uh. I've literally been laughing at these jokes for like three days. So that's hilarious. <laughs> a Nazi. Okay. That's well, cool. hello, hello, everybody. My name is Jay Walker, and welcome to Blind Dates. I am here with my wonderful guest, Mr. Sean Shank. Hello. <laughs> so, Sean, you're a comedian, you're a professor, you run mm-hmm. a comedy club. Can you tell me a little bit about that? What's your story? Well, 
Okay, so <laughs> I mean, there's a lot, a lot to it, and try to pull all these strings into an aggregation that makes sense might take a minute. But you know, essentially, growing up, I had a ton of a ton of interests, and my parents were always so encouraging; they never said no. So anything I would endeavor to do, the only like kind of quality, you know, a rule that I had is that I had to finish what I started. You know, whether it was a football season or whatever it was. And, um, you know, I initially started out, you know, for as far as like my academic career in pre-med and then finished in um, with, I, I got a undergrad in uh, English and creative writing and then went to Johns Hopkins and I got a degree in writing and teaching writing. And I'm currently actually in uh, getting my PhD in general, general psychology. Okay. Yeah. And um, uh, as far as comedy, I started many years ago when when the Internet was just all cornfields and, uh, you know, cornfields. yeah, it's well, you see, whenever old guys talk about anything, you're like, this all used to be cornfields, you know, um, Back in my day. Yes, exactly. Um, and <clears throat> I started in comedy um, because I always knew I was funnier than the class clown. And, yeah it, so it's, you weren't you weren't the class clown you were above him no 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 I was a quiet introverted kid no who, way yeah oh totally I actually tried to ex here's the thing I, I am in any personality test I've ever taken I'm split right down the middle I'm expressive analytic so that makes sense for my ad academic side but for everything else the expressive fits right mm -hmm. and I would, the expressive side was always trying to come out. So, you know, I was in, in choir, I was in jazz choir. Um, I had on the sequin gloves with the, you know, jazz hands. Um, <laughs> I can see it. I yeah. imagine it. <laughs> right. And, uh, but I was also in drama and things in school and I played football and I wrestled and I did just did all of the things, but when it came to uh, interpersonal connection, I, I was absolute. Uh, it, it, am I allowed to cuss at all on this? Oh, this is my podcast. <laughs> yes, you can. Okay, I was absolute shit when it, it comes to that stuff, and I mean, frankly, it's taken me years of talking with people and learning, you know, how to properly communicate. Making small talk, my God, what a nightmare that is! You know, figuring that out uh you know with humans um so yeah, yeah. so yeah like a socially awkward troy bolton i don't know who troy bolton is oh but my god turning the interview off i'm done you never seen high school musical no i haven't oh I'm my sorry. god i have not um you know shame on me <laughs> well i know this is get on a that. thing yeah well i mean comics frankly we are we are students of society and we have to kind of have our finger on the pulse of a lot of things. And I know that was massively popular, but I just, it never kind of came across my, my vision path at any time. I understand. So uh, it was a very specific, like very specific crowd of like eight to 17 year olds, 20 years ago. Yeah. And it was <laughs> 20 years ago. Back when it was all cornfields. When it was all cornfields. <laughs> and then we had a high school musical came out. You know, um, 
Yeah, no, I know it's, I know it's a thing, but you know, I, it just, I don't know. It's, it's certain things caught my attention uh, when it came to cinema. Um, and I have a very eclectic taste, you know, from Shawshank Redemption to Mean Girls to, you know, uh, like, you know, Water for Chocolate, you know, there's, it just depends wow. on what kind of snags, you know, me. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, but, uh, regardless, yeah. So yeah, that's, you know, I got into stand up and, you know, I was on, I did some shows with Def Jam. I was on CBS and some other things. Um, you saw me for like a half of a brief second on America's Got Talent. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh. It's like I said, a half of a brief second. Um, but I will tell you my journey in stand-up because of a bad first marriage and a bunch of different things has been a lot longer uh, than some of my peers that started when I did. But the thing is, I'm, I've been coming into my own and I've traveled outside the country for stand-up. I'm headlining clubs around the country now. And uh, part of it is that I've learned that it's not about me and my mission to like prove myself like it used to be. Now it's more you know, I, it's about the people that I'm talking to on stage and like bringing them some joy, even if it's for a short amount of time. So yeah, that's, yeah. So there's the academics, there's this. Oh, and I teach at two college. Yeah. I teach at SNHU and Lake Michigan college, uh, English and creative writing for both. And, uh, I love it because I don't teach like a traditional professor. I actually, uh, try to deprogram the kids, you know, from what society has jammed down their throats. And that, mm -hmm. that is always exciting for me. So you said you had a lot of hobbies when you were growing up. Um, why, mm -hmm. what like kind of put you onto comedy, I guess? Why, why comedy over say like being an astronaut or something like that? Well, I wouldn't be an astronaut because we never actually went to the moon. Oh, See, thank you. Finally. <laughs> oh. <laughs> You could get into so much evidence. That's um, a whole new podcast. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I could never do anything like being an astronaut or a pilot. And I actually wanted to, I wanted to get into the Navy to be a pilot, but my eyes, I was born legally blind. Um, and because my eyesight was like 20 over a thousand in each eye, I've had six surgeries, um, you know, nowhere near like, you know, uh, being, you know, fully blind, but mm -hmm my eyes have been a, uh, a, a trembling cup for the entirety of my life and have, you know, you know, like kept me out of certain activities, so to speak. I definitely feel that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I, I want to be sensitive to you. So I, you know, I don't want to go into the depths of it. Um, you know, if you want to talk about it, totally cool. If not, I'll move on. Um, we can talk about it. I'm an open book. Okay. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, like even now I have to have surgeries and things. I'm getting some eye injections in a couple of weeks. Oh gosh. Yeah. Yeah. That's a thing. That's a thing. I get needles in the eye quite often. I'm. Oh my God. Yep. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to be doing that for, I think I should be done with everything probably around summertime, but yeah, I'm getting, getting needles in the eye because they've got to reduce swelling and I'm bleeding you know, in, inside of my eyes. I mean, there's just a lot of stuff that's going on and them taking the goop out and replacing it, mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. Um, 
So, and the cool thing is I have to be awake for all of it. I haven't oh. yet, okay, been put out for anything. And like, I've had to watch them stick like the scalpels in my eyes and all that stuff. It's been nutty. It's yeah, it's crazy. Um, I'm sorry if I'm making you cringe over there. You look like you're no, it's okay. I'm just like, <laughs> I cannot believe because so when when I first went blind, I had severe swelling and I had severe pressure behind my eyes. The the average temperature that you're supposed to have in your eyes is 12 to 24. Mine was at 84. Holy shit. Yeah, they were falling out of their sockets. They were literally at my cheeks. So they had to use like they had to scalpel my eyes open and stuff like that. So I understand where you're coming from, like watching it happen and just being like, oh. I oh so, gosh wow so may i ask when did it happen for you like how long has this been a thing for you uh my five-year anniversary was december 12th okay. um i went blind december 12th 2018 and i was having actually severe like gi symptoms so nothing related to the eyes um and three weeks later i went into the hospital for the gi symptoms and i started to swell rapidly in my mucous membranes including my eyes and right. Um, the swelling got really bad and it cut off circulation to my optic nerves. That, I didn't know that was a thing. Uh -huh. It's, it wasn't a thing before me, actually. Are you serious? Yeah, I you actually am. I'm actually technically considered a medical mystery. Um, they, I don't have a technical diagnosis for my disease. Uh, they believe me to have, to be like, um, patient zero for a new inflammatory disease, basically. Okay, so you'll have to forgive me on this, um, because in a previous life, when I first went to school at Purdue, I wasn't looking to get into uh, English and writing and things like that. I just, it was always a passion for me. I actually was there, I was in general health sciences. I wanted to be a doctor because medicine has always fascinated me. I've been an EMT, I've been a nephrology technician. I was working in a medical bus on the front lines during the pandemic, um, you know, so you know, as, I mean, it, that's fascinating, you know, and I, I hope that doesn't seem insensitive to you. No. <laughs> How does that feel to you to be literally like ground zero for a thing where they're just like, bro, we have no idea. Well, it is something I can look at my sisters and say, I did it before you did. <laughs> so <laughs> that's the one good side to it. But I mean, <laughs> I it's just kind of a conversation starter honestly it doesn't really affect my life in any real way like other than having to take my medication and like stuff like that but I mean it's really just you know we're, we're just living and it's just something that happens every once in a while yeah it, isn't it funny how that happens like somebody outside of you know I talk about needles in the eyes you talk about your incredibly unique condition it is unique because there is no other um you know I I survived cancer right um, and you talk to people about it and, you know, they have this, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And mm -hmm. you, get, you get the standard, uh, you know, uh, human attempts at, you know, trying to solve over the situation, but like with my things with the cancer and I'm on a, a pill a day because of it and all this other stuff, it, the response is just like yours. Like, yeah, you know, it's, it's something that happened and you know, I, this is my life. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that you actually said like, oh my gosh, like, I'm so sorry. Because like, every time I tell somebody that, you know, I'm blind, I, I went blind, I wasn't born blind, whatever. Their first response is always like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I can't believe this happened. And I just look at them and I'm like, did you do this? Is this your fault? Did you yep. do this to me? Yep. 
I and then that. it's yeah. just like we're gonna need to have a deeper conversation if that's where this is going to but <laughs> <laughs> that's wow yeah it's i how fascinating that your situation wow have you, I mean, th- this might seem like a silly question, but have you been on talk shows and shit because of this? Because yeah. like, there's only one of you in the world. I when so after I first went blind, it was kind of my brother, we had a, we had a GoFundMe. And so my brother was like, I'm going to talk to the news channels about getting the GoFundMe out there, like whatever. And so as the moment, the first news channel, I think it was KCTV5, mm-hmm. um, they reached out to me and heard my story and were like, we just want to know a little bit more about you. And mm-hmm. The first story that was ever put out about me was a very dramatized, dramatized and like very like from the emotional aspect, like trying to get viewers because like we want to have you pity this girl so we can get views. And from there, it kind of blew up into like what actually happened? How is she coping? What's going on? And so I've been on um, Dr. Oz. I've been on pretty much every local news channel. I've been on national news channels. I was interviewed by the Washington Post, by New York Times. I was interviewed by Today Show, um, all that kind of stuff, Daily Mail. Dang. That's, I mean, just coming from a purely medical perspective, it is incredibly interesting. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Like when you look at the science and everything, because there's like, the, there's little details that just make it really weird. Like, for instance, when they, when they cut open my eyes initially, they were yeah. intending to find fluid um, or blood or something that was making, sure, making sure. me swell. But when they opened my eyes, there, nothing came out. It was just air. What? Yeah. I was a human balloon for no reason. You I was I was the bitch that turned into a blueberry. Okay, that was me. Oh, uh, uh, Willy Wonka. What was her name? Uh, was, oh, not Salt. Uh, Violet. Violet Beauregard. Yes, I was Violet. You were the Violet Beauregard of. Oh my goodness! <laughs> wow. Okay, that's that. I wow. I mean, I am anymore in my life. It's it's hard for me to be speechless on something, but it it's like wow, that's it's such an interesting thing. It's like I so many questions, but wow, okay, um, all right. So where do we go from here? <laughs> so so back to comedy. Okay. Um, so you, how did you? Who's who was your like inspiration as a kid? Like, did you watch any comedians growing up and were like, I want to be like them? <laughs> yeah, Bill Cosby. And then we found <laughs> out things. Um, <laughs> you you want to know what the, <laughs> the truth is behind my stand up? So here's the deal. Um, my family, like I love my mom and dad, don't get me wrong. And my grandparents, uh, especially my grandma, she was really sweet. But my family constantly fought and one of the big problems with my family is everybody in it is a freaking genius on some level and i mean Mm -hmm. that in the most literal sense my uncle was a rocket scientist my grandfather can do trigonometry in his head you know that that kind of thing so i can't even do trigonometry on paper me either my (laughs) my my genius and things goes towards the written word pretty Mm -hmm. much you know so but the problem is when you live with people like that, you know, 
when people are arguing about who's right over something. Unfortunately, they genuinely were correct about stuff when they're arguing about it. So that makes it that much more, you know, just, you know, Mm -hmm. just the sanctimony was gross. Um, But the one thing that always I noticed that the family would come together on, we would sit down as, as a group in the living room, you know, and it, it, otherwise we were yelling at each other or working, you know, that's the other thing like worked all the time, but we would take time out and we would sit down and we would, wa- we would watch Gallagher, oh. you know, and Bill Cosby and George Carlin, you know, and everybody would be laughing and everybody would be happy or be happy together. And I recognized the power of laughter very early on. It was like, man, this is something that can keep these people that, because, you know, like we, when we would have like Thanksgiving, they would start out nice. And then it would always end with people screaming at each other. A Bible would be open on the table for some reason and people screaming <laughs> in it and like just insanity. But when comedy was around, everybody was kind to each other and we laughed and we just, there was joy there. And when I saw that, I remember even being very young, looking around at my family going, whatever this thing is, and I didn't even understand it at the time, but I was like, I have to master this because this seemingly defeats every bad thing that's out there. And so... And then I started noticing at school, the kids that could get people to laugh because I was also severely bullied growing up too. So I was getting it from the family then I was getting it at school. And, you know, I would see that the kids that, especially the class clowns, people loved having them around. It's like, okay, so there's power here. And so I worked very diligently to figure out what made people laugh. Um, but it took time. You know, and when I finally got out of school, um, I signed up for an open mic contest at Crackers in Indianapolis and call it divine intervention. I added whatever I was, I was north of Indy and I heard an ad advertisement for this comedy contest at Crackers when they had the, uh, the original room in mm-hmm. Indianapolis at the Keystone of the Crossing. And this voice in my, like, it's late. it wasn't even mine. It would just said, do this. And I was like, all right. So surprise, it was me. Always <laughs> <laughs> <boy's> been there. <laughs> <laughs> so I signed up and here's the crazy thing. The room held 375 people and it was packed. Now I look at a room like that now and I would obliterate a room of 375 people that are there to laugh. Mm-hmm. But when I went up, um I in five minutes I got three laughs and I mean in this in the crowd there were politicians there were I think Colts players and Pacers like this was an event and I got three laughs and they were like (laughs) (laughs) yeah you know like that kind of pity just and I walked off stage and I was just I was dejected and I remember I remember uh thinking well maybe this wasn't for me and then uh and he's still a friend of mine today and he yeah. he runs uh contest in front hold on a second i'm sorry about this oh you're all good hey could you keep them quiet i'm having a podcast right now oh, i get that thank you oh my goodness 
I do apologize. That's okay. Dating. Ah, you know, it amongst all the the show and the business, there's real life kicks in. Anyway, um, Jerry Goble, he pulled me aside before I left the showroom, and he said, "Don't leave." He said, "I can see where like you you're funny. You know what's funny. You just don't know how to get to it." And so he worked with me and a couple other comics did Delmar Berkey, Troy Davis, God rest him. Um, mm -hmm. And the second open mic that I went to, I absolutely devastated the place. Like mm -hmm. I just took everything they taught me and I poured it into that. And once I got that first real, like people laughing back at me there, I can't think of another drug that would hook somebody harder because any comic that has been there and gotten those laughs um it's it is unlike anything else and it's better than days. drugs it's crazy it's yeah it is so at that point i just started going down to crackers every single seven nights a week i would work during the day go down to crackers and i would help you know opening doors sweeping up cleaning up glasses. I started doing sound more and more, but that, that was what was really the thing that was a big change because I got to sit up in the sound booth on the second floor and watch comics perform every single night. And because of that education, um, within a year, I was emceeing at all the clubs. And within two years, I was on the road full-time traveling all over the country as an MC or a feature. And back then when I started, you could do that, you know, and, uh, and that's just kind of, you know, the start of it. And now, you know, like I'm doing stand up, I, th I think every weekend up until March. And then I'm taking, because I am the GM of the underground laugh lounge in Niles, Michigan. So I'm taking some weeks off so I can work there, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's the story kind of long and short of it, I think. Hmm. So have you you've how long have you been doing stand up for? When was that? Well, if you're trying to make me feel old, <laughs> um, I started in 1995. Okay. So 28 years coming up. Um, and it's it's been good. You know, I've met some of my best friends uh, through it. Um, you know, Jerry Goble, Jacoby Ray, Troy Davis, Mike Merck, Terry McNeely. Uh, Devin Rosenblatt, just tons of good people, um, numerous, you know, and uh, I've spread joy all over the country, um, except for the times that I really sucked. <laughs> but luckily, I've had way more, quite a few more wins than I have losses, um, especially the last couple of years. So it's been good, you know, and the thing is, if anybody's out there and listening to this and they're on the fence about, oh, I really want to try it, but this excuse it, just do it. Just do it. Like we only get one go around in this lifetime, as far as we know. Um, and it, here's the thing. And I love this, this philosophy. If you don't start today, a year from now, you'll still be, you know what I mean? In the same, mm -hmm. you'll still be in the same spot. Right. But if you start now, like, yeah, you may be still an open mic and stuff, but you'll have started your journey. So why not start? 
Why not follow that dream? And who says you have to be great at it? You know, I people chase these dreams and perfection is a myth. Now, yeah, everybody should try to be the best they can at stuff. But 99% of the joy comes through the journey, not the destination, right? So Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So in your, um, let me do quick math. What is that 30 years, 30 years of work? Um, Have you ever interacted with a blind comic? Almost. Almost. Yes. What does that mean? Jeff. Um, oh my god, I can't remember his last name. Jerry would know. Um this this guy, his his eyesight was <clears throat> um was just incredibly bad and he had to have his wife drive him everywhere and his, you know, his eyes were, you know, crossed and there were just all of, all of this stuff going on. And, you know, he was funny enough, but the real tragedy with him, you know, and I, I always tell people just, you know, don't be afraid of your bumps and bruises, address them because people see him anyway, mm -hmm. you know, and they're going to make their judgments, whether you want them to or not. Right. And Jeff, when he would get on stage, he would wear sunglasses sometimes because he was so, you know, sensitive about his eyes. And, um, but when he wouldn't, people, would, his eyes were crossed. So people would look at him and I would hear them in the crowd going, is he doing that on purpose? Is he trying? Because since you're up there being a comic, yeah, they, you know what I mean? Like, they're like, oh, he's trying to be funny. But they're, they're sitting there the whole time so focused on his eyes being crossed and whether or not it was in how the hell is he holding it like this the entire time that they weren't listening to him and it destroyed his career i mean there were other factors but that killed him up on stage and you know his friends would tell him like dude you have got to just either you know address it or just become comfortable with it mm -hmm. and, you know um but that's the only that's the only time um, that I had anybody close to, you know, you know, we should say is blind uh, on stage. You know, I've worked with it, comics that have no legs, no arms. I've worked with comics with Parkinson's. I've worked with comics that are missing limbs, you know, um, just kind of all over the, uh, the, the spectrum. And I, I love it because their perspective on the world is bouncing off of people's perceptions and where that clash happens is a lot of comedy. Mm -hmm. Do you think those like those different perspectives um, in a way kind of, how do I word this? So do you think, okay, what is like the one common denominator that is amongst all of like those kinds of comics? Like, so just say disabled comics. Okay. Like, would it be like their ability to joke about their circumstances? I, I think, honestly, I think it is that it is a humility and a strength that they have cultivated over a lifetime of dealing with the bullshit. Okay. Um, now I know growing up with my eyesight the way it was, um, and I, I'm also like very colorblind too, right? And 
this and this I actually talk about this on stage. Um, you know, when people find out that I'm colorblind, the first thing that they always do is, you know, they'll grab their shirt and they'll go, "What color is this?" <laughs> yeah, like, great, thanks, right. thank you. Right, exactly. And I and I say that's the only disability you can do that to. You can't walk up to somebody, tip them out of a wheelchair, and go, "Prove it, bitch." Yeah, exactly. That's a really good point. Right. Yeah. And actually, I, when I was at the Funny Stop uh, this last Saturday in uh, Ohio, I did that joke and there was a, a dude in a wheelchair. And but instead of saying you can't walk up to somebody in a chair, I pointed at him and I said, you can't walk up to him, tip him out and go prove it, bitch. And the crowd like laughed because it's funny But then they stopped and they all turned to look at him. and He's just dying right in his wheelchair he's just laughing his ass off and I said you know I said I debated when I saw him at first doing that joke tonight I said but you know what I said fuck it because he knows what's going on with his life and I said I'm not gonna try to not include him by keeping him out of out of the out of the discourse no he's in a wheelchair I have a joke about it exactly here it is right I like and, to think that there's like sorry continue no no I was just saying like and it was great I like to think that there's like, there's kind of a line when it comes to comedy um, mm -hmm. in regards to like people with disabilities or um, anything like that. It's, it, there's like the line of like, you can joke with them and have fun with them. But the moment that like it turns into like, you are incapable because of your disability and I'm going to make a mm -hmm. joke about that, yep. then it's like, okay, we're not going to do that. But the vast majority of times, like, even when I'm like interacting with other people my age or older people, younger people, doesn't matter who, like they're mm -hmm. always so afraid to like make the little joke, like, oop, like, oh, like if I say, you know, that was a good movie, it was like, I liked it. And they'd go, like, how did you see it? Like something like that. And to me, that's like, that's funny. That's okay. That's super right. cool. But if they were like, you can't understand that, there's no way you could see it. Like then it's like, eh, what's the line here? Right. Well, I, I, I actually have, okay. So I teach comedy classes, but I actually, I kind of look at them now as more like uh fuck up avoidance classes for comedy <laughs> Yeah. people, what not to do. And this is one of the big ones because I always say, you know, like you can joke about anything. You're just not free of the consequences. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I did some shows with Def Jam and I am, you know, white as an Iowa farmer, though, like, I've got a lot of Native American in me. Um, you can't tell. Um, but I always did fine with, uh, they're called urban crowds in the industry um, because it was never attacking. You know, my, po my point of view was like, look, yo, I grew up in Deer Creek, Indiana in the midst of four cornfields. My family were, they were misanthropes. We, you know, surrounded by rednecks, white trash. This is what I come from. And I understand that. And I'm coming into your world, a fish out of water. And I recognize that. And I was always fine in those situations because I was never attacking. And when somebody is up there and they're including you in, their, in the joke, it's like, if I have a friend and I'm like, what's up, fuck face, you know, and everybody's <laughs> laughing about it, right? And then the dude in the wheelchair or the blind lady or whatever is right next to them. And I don't call them fuck face. And they're in my friend circle. It's like, well, why don't you call me fuck face? Yeah, exactly. Like I'm a fuck face. Say, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, you are. Uh, no. 
how how horrible is it that you you don't want to include them in that like good friends pick on each other like that that's how i came up and mm-hmm. how dastardly almost to be like well i can't call you a fuck face you're in a wheelchair what the, what are you talking about that's like that's just at that point that's discrimination like that's what i'm saying yeah like no sir i am equally as awful as everybody here make fun of me yeah <laughs> you and but that's when it becomes a moment in time and you you want to talk about inclusiveness that's inclusive holding somebody up on a pedestal like they need to be protected and everything this is why i said the thing about you know you ask the common thread the through line of all the folks you know uh there was a comic his name was brian um i can't remember his last name but he was missing his arm i think his i think it was his left arm from the elbow down right mm-hmm. and he had so many funny jokes about it right so many funny jokes and the thing I loved about him, and again, all the other comics with these these uh, you know disabilities, if we're going to throw a name on it, um, again, just there was a strength that every single one of them had, you know, because they've had to suffer the slings and arrows that come from, you know, the mass, you know, population that's out there that fears things that they don't understand, mm-hmm. right, and. Um, you know, and I find that to be true. They're, they're just more awake. You know, <clears throat> kids that have suffered abuse, abuse during their childhoods are more awake because they have felt all the pain that sheltered kids who, you know, have the, you know, mom and dad and the white picket fence and the 2.5, you know what I mean? Like the Ozzy and Harriet thing going on. They are lost when they start to become adults. I have seen it. Mm-hmm. I watched that shit happen when I, you know, being bullied and everything like I was in high school, when I went to Purdue, which a bunch of the kids that I went to school with did, man, oh my God, I was fine being alone, you know, born with the shitty eyes and the, we were super poor too. Like I had all these just check marks against me. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I went to Purdue, my first day there, I'm, you know, I'm plopped down in the middle of 40,000 people and I'm just skipping through the campus because I'm fine being alone. I am okay. This environment doesn't scare me. Now, I don't like talking to people, but I'm good with myself. And kids from my school who never had to go through the stuff that I did were come running up and they're like, oh my God, it's so good to see you. It's like, bro, you never talked to me in school. Yeah, that's you're a good just, point. Yeah, it's like, you're just afraid right now. You know, and I just wanted to tell them, I don't know that they would have understood at the time. It's like, you need to live in this for a bit so you can grow, right? I'm not going to be cruel to you and, and, you know, shove you off. But at the same time, it's like, if you're trying to cleave to the one thing that has familiarity here, you are, you are doing a disservice to yourself. Like, be part of this, like, swelling mass of humanity and grow with it so you can become, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry, getting a little existential there. <laughs> we need that. That's okay. Um, so circling back to like stand up and comedy and that whole area, have you yes. ever? You said you've bombed shows before. Oh fuck it. Yeah. Have you ever had like an audience member just like, like challenge you almost like be like, like I don't think this guy is funny. I'm gonna make sure that this show fails. Like something like that. 
Yes, and I have got an awesome story. Oh, shit. feed me. Oh, I happily will. All right, so um, I was doing the gaslight in down in Indianapolis, Indiana, and it was this crazy, it's one of those like storied open mics that, you know, kind of gets this legendary air about it in the industry because so much stuff has happened there and people just, you know, like big names have come through because they hear about this place. So it was, it was one of those places that was just becoming and it would pack out every time we'd have an open mic. Well, this one night I'm up on stage and there was a woman stage right who just would not shut up throughout any of the comics. And she just kept hammering people and hammering people and we would say stuff to her, say stuff to her. She just wouldn't be quiet. So I get up there and I just abandon my set and I just start laying into her with every like, you know, heckler line, everything I knew <laughs> talking about her, you know, her, her many suitors, just everything. And she had on her left-hand side was her husband on the right-hand side was her son. And then her daughter-in-law was next to the husband and the husband was just kind of chuckling. And I learned afterwards that the reason he really enjoyed what I did, because it, it, in his own words, no one has ever talked to her like that. <laughs> okay, so this woman, I guess, has been a lifelong problem for many. So I start tearing into her and tearing into her and she just won't. And then I've, and this has only happened to me a few times on stage. I blacked out and I woke up like came back to consciousness about 10 minutes later and I'm just like yelling in the mic and yelling you know like pointing at her the sun has and I don't remember what I said but the crowd was just fucking dying laughing right the sun and this is where the contentious part comes up gets up and walks around the back of the room because it was like seating on two sides and then mm -hmm. I, I went up stage he's walking up towards me and I think that's why I came back online because threat right and so he's Finger alert yeah yeah so he's coming at me and i i see it and i grab the stand and i pick it up like a sledgehammer <laughs> because it has that heavy base right yeah i'm sitting there holding i'm like motherfucker you come one more step like i'm saying this with a microphone and I'm holding <laughs> the stand like this she's screaming at me but what i don't see in the background jerry gobel troy davis and Ian Montgomery, three of my very good friends. Now, uh -huh. Cherry, Ian is ex-Special Forces, and he's a comic and a magician. Brilliant dude. Um, Troy is a brick mason, and he's he was like six foot five, massive. And Jerry is a big dude with a lot of anger issues. So, <laughs> Me. <laughs> right? So they, I guess what had happened was, as he was walking towards the stage, the three of them were shoulder to shoulder walking towards him. That dude wouldn't have even made it close to me because they were going to slaughter this dude. But when I picked up the mic stand and I was like, motherfucker, he backed off, walks back around. They all start to get up. And as they're walking out the door, this white trash princess screams at me. She goes, suck my dick. And I looked over at her and I go, I knew it. And of course the place just lays down, like just because of all the stuff that had happened. Um, 
so yeah that was like a time where you know there there would have been some big time rumbling and yeah you almost died for comedy yeah i mean you know well me or him um you know but i i think with my friends in the back he didn't have a good chance um at all so silly too over jokes and stuff Mm -hmm. people have to be like that i just don't understand it yeah so like so what is the science behind a good joke what is like is there an equation to it well, there's formulate builds on all jokes. There's setup punch, setup body punch. There's story jokes where it's like setup punchline way at the other end, and the pepper jokes, you know, all the way as it builds with a, cre- a crescendo on an upward slant. There's so much to it. But here's the thing: the shit that I find funny that I am able to articulate on stage in a manner that makes people laugh. You know, that is a formula that is personal to me like i'm able to take the way that i view things and make it funny but there are things that are always funny you know there's the you know the the switcheroo you know you get do the 360 at the end they're not expecting or the shock you know or the absurdist thing you know uh why the chicken across the road because it was stuck up a cow's ass when it you know like (laughs) you see what i mean it's like there's there's you know but there's also like simple humor it's like uh you know dad jokes they're they're so popular and i love them you know i wrote one the other day that is so stupid but i've been doing it on stage to torture my audiences uh which is i started worshiping grocery bags because i am sack religious (laughs) terrible Right. But see, the thing is, it's like it's a pun and it's a word pun. But, you know, but the one thing that makes jokes powerful is when people utilize their communication skills to illustrate something in the human mind, the better that you can paint the picture in the person's mind, the heavier the laugh. Mm-hmm. OK. And, you know, in revenge comedy, too. You know, stuff where you're the beleaguered person and you get the revenge on the Karen or the Kyle or whatever that gets laughs because we all experience in our daily life just taking L's left and right. And we love to see people win. Right. Until it gets to be too much and then we get jealous of them. Humans are fucked up. Yeah, I can I can attest to that. Yeah. Um. So you do a lot. You're also a professor yes. um, at two universities, Mr. Yes. Distinguished. <laughs> um, and you're also becoming a doctor and you're also a comedian. You're also running a comedy club. You're doing all these things. How do you juggle that? Like all of it? Like, is there a strategy to it? Do you have a journal? Do you have a planner? Do you have like mental yoga that you do every morning to emotionally prepare yourself? What do you do? Well, my mental yoga in the morning is like, fuck, okay. I guess <laughs> oh, I'm awake again. <laughs> yeah. All right. Here we go. Um, here's the thing. I, I've always said, because I've been asked this question many times. And as a matter of fact, uh, my very first week of my uh, psychology, 8,002, that's the level. That's so weird. It's like, I teach one of one classes, 8,002, 8,002. That's when you get to the doctoral level. That's when they start just numbering stuff like just ridiculously high you know yeah <laughs> um but they talked about time management skills 
And I put in the paper, the same thing I tell people, um, making time is a superpower. Now, I know that seems like a cop out, and I'll, but I'll explain. You know, there are 24 hours in a day and I sleep six to eight like everybody else, uh, sometimes less, but for the most part, six to eight, right? And it comes down to compartmentalizing the things that I have to do. It's just like today. I worked on comedy club stuff. I worked on my own comedy stuff. I worked on uh, my SNHU, my LMC. I graded papers. I answered emails. And the thing is, I just take a section of time and say, okay, I'm going to focus on this for an hour. I'm not going to let stuff get in the way. This is all I'm doing right now. Now, if I get an important phone call, of course, I'll take it. But outside of that, <clears throat> this hour is dedicated to this. And then so I don't get burned out. I will switch to something else in that next hour. And what that does for me is one, it keeps things fresh in my mind so I can, you know, keep doing the things, but you would be shocked. The amount of shit you can get done. If you're just like, I'm going to focus my energy into this thing for one hour. And then if you get, you know, later in the day when you've done a bunch of stuff, you're like, you know what? I could revisit, I could do another hour doing this thing. Whatever it is, working out, a hobby, it doesn't matter, you know, but I never let it take up too much of my time. You know, it's just like chores around the house. You know, I heard a very good rule a long time ago, do it for 20 minutes, sit down. And an hour, do another 20 minutes, go hard at it for 20 minutes. You will be shocked at the amount of shit you can get done by having that, right, uh, sort of uh, pattern to things. So that's, I mean, that's what I do, you know, and I, 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 I keep, you know, it's much lighter this semester. Like I said, last semester, I was teaching like nine classes and all this other stuff. I was able to do it barely, but I did it. Mm -hmm. So that's the secret. The secret is learning how to time manage. Yeah. I like it. Um. I think I have I have one final question for you, I believe. Okay. Um you ask me anything. If I if I you know, I'll answer whatever. How many times in your life has someone called you Sean Shank Redemption? Oh fuck me. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, no, no, look, first of all, all right, Sean Shank the Shawshank Redemption, in my opinion. Uh, is the greatest piece of cinematic work that has ever been created. Um, you know, Stephen King cut it loose to Frank Darabont, I think, for just like a thousand bucks. It was something crazy. Mm -hmm. And Frank created this screenplay that was just amazing. It was based off a short story by Stephen King, which is called Rita Hayworth and the, the Shawshank Redemption. It is a, a tale of hope victory perseverance i mean just all of the good stuff all right and the soundtrack is sublime by thomas newman if you don't know i agree oh my god that dude um but when that movie came out it was hell because after every single show and i'm not exaggerating every single show didn't matter where i was at in the country I would have some redneck come up to me. And again, remember, rednecks are my people. Would come up to me and go be, hey, I got a joke for you. You can call yourself Sean Shake Redemption. It was. 
so I finally, you know, for, and for the longest time, because they, they just are being nice and trying to help. I'd be like, Oh my God, you know, I've never heard that before. That's thank you so much. And they would feel so good walking away. Well, it just got to the point where it was so much where I'm just like, you know what? I, I'm going to put a stop to all this. So I open up my set with a couple quick hits to get the audience with me. And then I say, so my name is Sean Shank. And then I pause and I go, Sean Shank Redemption, get it out of your system. It it gets a decent like little laugh. And I just, and, but I always tell him, I said, I am just saving us a shitload of time after the show. Yeah. And it's, and it's so true because it wouldn't be just one dude. It no, it'd be, be it, it would be me and all of my friends. And yeah, then, then some. <laughs> yeah, because you would see, you would see the pun right away, and it's a fair pun. Don't get me wrong, but I just, you know, it's like God. You can only hear something so many times. It's just like a tall person, like, "Hey, what's the weather like up there?" Yeah. It's like, oh my God, you know, shut up. So, yeah. So that I've I've heard it a lot, but thankfully, I, I adore that movie. I adore the soundtrack. Um, I am intending to go out to Mansfield, Ohio to see where it was shot at the Ohio State yeah. Reformatory at some point. It's haunted. Bro, you ain't scared <laughs> of me. I used to ghost hunt. Are you kidding me? You used to ghost hunt? Hell yeah. All right. Wait. <laughs> you used to, like, professionally? I worked with a team. It was called Haunted Realty. We actually were putting together a pilot that we were going into these places and I can say this now because, you know, if, if somebody picked up on this and did this show, fine, you know, um, I would just sue them in the after, but, um, but the idea was people trying to sell homes that were haunted and we would go in, figure out what was going on and try to help them cleanse the home so they could sell it. Right. So that's where haunted realty came. And what we did was we mixed a group of comedians uh, the comedy that I work with them now, the comedy deli, which is, you know, my very dear friends, uh, Brad Miller, Otis Boggs, uh, Patrick Gone, and so many others in it. And Mike Barnett, who has since passed, God rest him. And so it was like you mix comedians. And then we brought in this professional, like died in the wool, real deal ghost hunting team uh, in our, our medium, who uh, Tina Marie Ronan. And she, holy shit that I, i'm getting goosebumps because of some of the stuff that she and i went through there was one house we called it the uh the mishawaka demon demon house okay. i was standing in the living room and off to my left it was like a i don't i don't know what you would call it. it's not like a living room it's like a sitting room i guess mm -hmm. and at the back side of the sitting room was the the door that went upstairs and i was standing there and Jay, I shit you not. I know what I saw. Okay. I saw this black mass, like some, like a person standing on the stairs and leaning out of the door looking at you. But instead of a dude, it was that shape, but a black mass. And I'm sitting there looking at it and I'm just getting chills going, holy shit, this thing is looking at me. Like I felt it. Okay. And I am not kidding you, Tina. I know, like, you know how you know, feel somebody behind you, right? Mm -hmm. I felt somebody behind me. I look over my shoulder and Tina's standing right there. And before I could say anything, you know what she says to me? She goes, I see him too. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Not only that, that same house, that same house. Okay. So Patrick gone, 
is at the bottom of the stairs. All right. Uh -huh. And um, Eric Hardy, who is one of the professionals uh, at this, very good at the ghost hunting, right? These guys have been all over the country and stuff. I'm in the middle of the stairs. We're going down to the basement. And we even separated the audio so we know that it was a different voice coming in. It was a completely different line. And I have this still on a recorder buried somewhere in my dresser. Pat says something. Eric says something in response. And then this voice as clear as day into my recorder said, check me out. Oh. Yeah, it was a class A EVP. I mean, no joke. We we have done the State Theater in Logansport, Indiana. We did the administration building for the South Bend Civic Theater. Um, you know, we've just done all, all kinds of places. Um, you know, but again, that's one of those things. I had a fascination. I've got this really good group of dudes and gals around me that, you know, we just do things like this together. And yeah, I mean, it, it was a great and very scary at times experience. You're literally like my dream like ghost hunting comedian creative writing come at me this is like that's like my persona that is my fursona <laughs> are, are you a, are you are you a furry i'm not okay all right because before this conversation went any further <laughs> um because i i have a cousin that's a furry um yeah and his wife really Oh, really? Yeah, I've got a, I've got an interesting clan, uh, my family. Really interesting. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah. So, but you know what the thing is? Like, you, I wonder what it would be, because let me ask you this question, if you don't mind, with the senses and stuff, because, like, when I was, because I couldn't see shit. Everything was just glob, right? My hearing has always been excellent, okay? Like, excellent, excellent. Have you, because of what's going on with your situation, have you kind of like turned daredevil with be like your ears are just like fucking amazing? So my, I, they, I, I guess I just kind of rely on my hearing a lot more. Mm -hmm. uh, I wouldn't say it's gotten any better. I think I just pay attention to it more. Ah, okay. Um, but I mean, I wish I was daredevil. That's who I always wanted to be. I wanted to be Daredevil, and then I, got, I went blind. And I was like, this is my chance. Just kind of say the universe is like, here you go. <laughs> <laughs> and, but like, but I have noticed, so I, all my life, I've been able to kind of communicate with ghosts or spirits or whatever you want to call them, angels, okay. whatever. And um, when I was young, when I was really little, I was really good at it. And as I've gotten older, it's kind of drifted away from me, but after I went blind I thought I was going crazy because I was starting to hear voices and like feeling things around me feeling things touch me all that kind of stuff and I my mom's cousin um is a psychic medium she talks to like angels and like um guardian angels like all that kind of stuff mm -hmm. and it sounds silly but this is like actually what I believe in so it's like um but I Speaker had a conversation with her and I was like am I going crazy or is there something happening and she was like well it could be because you know you've lost your sight that they're able to contact you easier through like auditory and 
she told me recently, like the veil is going to start lifting and it's going to get more apparent. And it, it sure has been. Mm-hmm. Oh, with everything going on around the world and the great awakening and all that shit. Oh, fuck oh yeah. It. Yeah. I just, I think you would be baller on a ghost hunt because I just, <clears throat> with your senses and things, and you're just, you're even saying it now, I would just bet you would go into a place and just, I would love I to can see. tell, I, I, it is, it literally is my sixth sense. Like I, I can tell immediately, like, it's not like I walk into a room and I'm like, a man named George is standing over there. He has a, he has a toupee <laughs> and he's racist. You know, I don't, that's not how it works. Wow, that it's... is really good. <laughs> um, it's more like, what for instance, like whites only. What? It's, for, it's like, for instance, I was in Florida with my family a couple months ago, mm -hmm. and we walked into the um. There was a museum. Uh, it was like a military museum, and it was basically donations from a bunch of, like, world from from the Civil War. Up, sure, like all sure. of those wars and um oh, wow. there were okay. uniforms and flags and yep. weapons and everything and I walked in there and without even taking three steps I was I felt heavy I was like there are so many people in here right now I literally can't even focus and right. I remember walking with my sister and we walked by a uniform and I stopped in front of it and I said there's someone attached to this they, they should not be in here and right. she was like girl you're creeping me out. I need you to stop. So you felt stuff and they were freaking you out. Yeah, it was it was crazy. <sighs> now, when you hear the whispers and things, um, is it just like a like a pss, pss, pss kind of thing, or do you hear kind of more distinct language? I mean, how does it come across to you? So it really kind of. Um... It's not, it's less like I can understand the sentence that's being said. It's like, it almost sounds like it's happening underwater at like twice oh, the speed. Okay. So it's like, um, like for instance, I was, I was sitting on my couch watching a movie and from literally right in front of my face, like I heard probably like a two second sentence and it scared me so bad because like, I, I couldn't even like, I, I literally thought I was going crazy mm -hmm. and, um, but it, it, it wasn't like I could understand what they were saying, but it was like I could feel the energy and I could like hear the mumbles. Like it's 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 almost like the veil is like half lifted and we're like almost there. Right. That's interesting. It's you know, and that's the thing too that gets me with people that are skeptics. Actually, uh, I will tell you, um, when we were getting into the ghost, and when this was actually at the Demon House too, uh, uh, our friend Mike, uh, the guy I said Mike Barnett before, you know, he didn't believe in any of it at all. But he was, you know, he was our good friend, so he did it with us anyway, right? And you know, when it came to us being on camera and having those moments or whatever, he would say, you know, I don't believe in any of this. I've seen some weird stuff. And when we were at the Demon House. We were downstairs, the lights were off, and this is one of those, uh, you know, Midwest houses where, you know, you have the basement underground and, you know, a couple of thin windows mm -hmm. to let light in at ground level, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm standing down there with Mike, and, you know, there's some moonlight bleeding in through the window, and I felt energy 
okay, near me. I just, and it was like a lot of energy. And Mike was standing across from me by one of the support posts of the basement. So there were probably, it's probably like three, four feet in between us. And this black mass, I mean, massive, it, its head, whatever you want to call it, was almost touching the floor, like, oh. you know, above us, right? And it moves in between us and it blots out the light from that window. That's how dark it was. And as I'm watching it go away, Mike's attention goes elsewhere. And he looks at me and he goes, did you see both those things? I said, no, I was too enthralled with this big, massive, you know, black moving thing. He said, I saw that. And he said, then a green orb started float floating around the basement. And I go, really? He goes, yeah, I saw both of them. I can't oh. believe it. Oh, I love that moment when a skeptic turns into a believer. It's like Christmas. Right? Exactly. And he was. He was completely changed from that point. His perception of things. And he was just like, man, I, okay. And so his, like his whole world up opened up to this whole new, new, you know, thing. It's just like, you know, it, it, Einstein said you can't destroy energy. It can just transfer it like into some other shape. It can't, you know, move, dissipate, but it can't be destroyed. Right. So if it can't be destroyed and people die, it's like, what happens to that energy? You know, so if you, if you, you can be a skeptic and all this stuff all day long, but if you're talking about the pure science of it, you have to admit that that energy has to go somewhere. It has to go somewhere. Yeah. 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 And I mean, if you believe in the, um, I think it's the stone tape theory. I think that's what it's called where it's, um, the energy because it doesn't die it doesn't go away it doesn't get destroyed bleeds into the walls and gets connected into things like wood and stone mm -hmm. and because of that it kind of lives forever so when you walk into a room or an old building or something like that like you'll be able to feel the energy and the history from the walls y yes a hundred percent okay so let me ask you this uh, and i'll tell like a, a quick little story and then tell me if you felt something like this so when i was i think i was like 10 or 11 and my sister was 13 we were thinking about moving well my parents were thinking about moving they just would have brought us along and we were looking at houses and we went to this house beautiful old house amazing rich woodwork you know just low price too and michelle and i walked up this massive great you know wooden stairs to the second floor and i mean it's just just so grandiose, you know, and I remember thinking it was beautiful, but as soon as we stood at the the top of the stairs, there was this big hallway and we were staying there together and I felt just hatred, just anger, evil, hate, just every negative emotion that you could possibly feel. And I looked at Michelle and I knew she felt it too. And we went running back down the stairs and we told mom and dad, it's like, no, there's something bad here, like really bad. And we never went back to that house. Didn't even consider it. Now, have you ever had anything like that happen to you? Dozens of times. Yeah. I, I am very, I, I, my family will tell you that I'm the one person, like if, and whenever my sisters move into a new apartment, anything, I'm the first one there. So I can tell them like, if there's something happening. 
Um, and the one of the biggest examples of this I think I can think of is um, similar to you, we were looking for houses. Like we weren't, I don't think we were actually even thinking about moving, but I think we were just like, let's go look at houses. That would be fun. <laughs> and we walk into this house. It's me, my mom and my sister, I believe. And um, it's a beautiful house. Like you walk in and if you go to the left, it's like the laundry room. And if you go further, it's the, you know, master, be- master bathroom, master bedroom, mm-hmm. beautiful house. And, you know, I walk in and I'm like, uh, like it feels I don't know any other way to describe it other than it it feels like the windows were blocked out. Like it felt like almost dark in there. Oh wow. And like and I I could I could not see it this time. So I had no, you know, it just when I walked in there, I was like, why is it so dark in here? Um, even though like it's just black. But I we walk the content. <laughs> we walked into the bathroom. And we all like kind of like are joking around. And so we, me, my mom and my sister all climb into the shower because that's how big it was is all of us could fit in there. And we got in there and I almost literally started having a panic attack. And so we go throughout the rest of the house and whatever. And we walk out and my mom's like, so what'd you guys think? And I said, we, we can never go back in that house again. And she's like, why? And I was like, I don't know what happened in there. I don't know who was in there. I don't know what lives in there now, but it did not like us. It did not like me specifically and we need to leave as soon as possible and for weeks after we went to that house we were having things happen in our own house like Uh. the doors would shut we would have cabinets open we'd have hear footsteps and I was like that's the thing from that house I swear to god and we had to cleanse the house we had to do all the stuff yep yeah a hundred percent that's whenever we would do any ghost hunts we would cleanse before after you know like Mm -hmm. just the whole code yeah i've heard too many times people will go and do it you know the ghost hunt and they don't do any of that stuff to protect themselves and then the same thing like you said it just latches onto you oh my god yeah holy cow that is oof yeah okay so well how very interesting is that you 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 you're a step ahead of me i'm just doing the ghost hunts i can feel like weird energy fluctuations and stuff you actually like you know, like I said, you kind of got that daredevil thing going on a little bit, but a little bit more psychic too. So you're kind of like daredevil a little bit, uh, I don't know, Dr. X a little bit. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the hair, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, so my final thing for this interview is I I think it is very important for me to share with you my favorite joke of all time. I think it's only fitting. Fire away. All right. Now I will say this. This is not, I did not come up with this. I saw this on TikTok like five years ago. Um, and it is my favorite thing in the world. Are you ready? I absolutely. So there's this fucking snail. So the snail is working with this scientist, right? And the scientist's goal is he wants to make the snail be able to communicate with humans. So the snail works with the scientists and they do studies, they do tests and they train for years until one day the snail is finally able to speak. And as one day the snail is watching some media because that's the way that the scientist introduced him to the world was showing him TV shows and movies and stuff. One day the snail is watching NASCAR and it says to the scientist, I want to be a NASCAR driver. So the scientist says improbable, but not impossible. 
And so they start their training. Years go by and him and the snail are working every single day until one day he's ready for the Daytona. So the thing about the Daytona is you need a number on your car, but the snail was too small to fit any sort of double digit number on his car and all the single digits were taken. So instead of doing a number, they just drew a nice little S on his shell. S for snail. Mm -hmm. So the race starts. The cars are going. The crowd is cheering. The box is going crazy watching these cars go around the track over and over and over again. It's the third third lap, second lap till the finish line. Final lap till the finish line. The snail is in first place and the box up top with all the announcers says, look at that snail go. Look at that S car go. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I I have okay. It, it, full disclosure, I've heard that joke before, but it still doesn't take away the joy. <laughs> it did, okay. yeah. do, you, do you wanna hear do you wanna hear a quick snail joke? Yeah, admit to me. I would love okay. to. Okay. So um the snail goes up uh to this he's selling magazines door to door and he goes up and knocks on the door of this home guy opens the door doesn't see anybody looks down sees the snail and the snail says excuse me sir would you like to buy some magazines the guy is like what the fuck he picks the snail up throws it all the way to the other side of the yard shuts the door seven years later guy hears a knock at the door same guy opens up the door looks down the snail looks up at him he's like what the fuck dude <laughs> That's funny. That's cute. I like that. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I liked your S Carter S Carter because I haven't heard that version. Which I that's why I never say, "Oh, I've heard this before." Because people like put different uh, swings on on jokes, even if you heard them before. So that's why I, I love it. It's great. Yeah, I yeah, I my favorite jokes are the ones that take like six years to tell, and then the end is like just kind of disappointing, and you're just like, really. Yeah, yeah, and but. Again, that's almost like getting into that a little bit of non sequitur, punny kind of realm. And that just that gets some people. And I think that's cool. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So, Sean, do you have any social media or anything you would like to plug for the show? Yeah, um, you can hit me up on Insta at Sean.Shank11. Um, you could also, I have a podcast on the JG's Lounge Network, which is Shawshank, Sean Shank Redemption Podcast. Um, website is ShankWright, that's S-H-A-N-K-W-R-I-G-H-T.com. And um, I travel over the country doing stand-up, so you can find me places I you know, uh, off the top of my head, I'm trying to think. I'll be at the Comedy Caravan in Louisville uh, first week of February, doing a bunch of gigs with AC Jokes on the East Coast the end of February. August, I'll be at the Give a Hoot Comedy Club in Maryland. Um, <laughs> I don't know. <clears throat> I'm all over the place. All right. Well, super cool. It has been fantastic meeting you. Yeah, this has maybe. been Blind Dates with Miss Jay Walker and Mr. Sean Shank. If you have any comments, questions, concerns, please email us at blinddatesjw at gmail.com and I will be sure to at least look at it. <laughs> All right, Sean. Thank you so much for joining me. It has been so yeah. fun. Yeah, it's cool. I really enjoyed this. Well, I hope you have a fantastic day. Yeah, you too. I'll talk talk to you sometime soon, hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. Bye. Yeah.
Thanks, Jay. Bye.